Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Today we're going to continue our uh, message or our series called Follow the Leader, the Teachings of Jesus. And uh, today I want to talk to you a little bit about biblical worldview. So let's go back to our scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12. You can have it in your notes there or in your Bible, or you can look up on the screen, whatever's most convenient for you. And let's read together. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everybody read. Blessed are you when people insult you or persecute you or falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, let's read it from the Amplified. It says, Blessed, comforted by inner peace and God's love, are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Blessed, morally courageous, and spiritually alive with joy in God's goodness, Are you, when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of your association with me, be glad and exceedingly joyful for your reward in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible. For in this same way, they uh, persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now let's read one more scripture. I know it's a lot. Let's read it. Scripture uh, is James chapter one, verse two through four in the NIV. It says this. Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Now, let's read that again. Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, when you fall into various trials. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience experience produces endurance, leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're going to speak to us today, and we just ask you to bless it. We ask you to use what we have as gifts to hear and to give the word and help us to ruminate on it in our hearts and our spirits and cause it to bear fruit in our lives. Lord, take your word like a seed and plant it down in the soil of our hearts. And then water it and then put the sun to it, God, and then just cause it to grow so that we will become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So I want to read something to you, and it should be in your notes, and it'll go up on the screen. But I want to talk to you today about the idea of perspective. You know, we talk about seeing the world in certain ways. And the truth is we live our life the way we see the world. You know, truth is far more important. It's vastly more important than perception or perspective. Because we can't have a perspective and then say that's truth. Truth is objective and it stands on its own. And the way we see something isn't necessarily the way it is unless we find ourselves looking at it from the basis of truth. And we know the objective standard for truth is the Word of God. The objective standard for truth is God Himself. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we want to see the world in that way. We want to see the world through him. So I just wanted to show you how important it is, our perspective or the way we see things. You know, when you get up in the morning and you're in a bad mood, how many have ever got up in the morning and you're in a bad mood? Uh, yeah, too, too many of you evidently. Yes, today I, I'm in a bad mood. No, sometimes you get up in the morning and you're in a bad mood and you literally have to make a decision. I'm not going to be like this because I do not want the rest of my day to be the results of my bad attitude or my bad mood. And, and, and we all know how to do that, and we know what we're doing when we do it. What we're doing is we're saying to ourselves, we're saying to our emotions, get under subjection to our will. We're saying, I'm in charge here, and I'm not going to let my emotions lead me. I'm not going to let my circumstances lead me. I'm not going to let my situation lead me. I am going to lead here, and us as believers, we're going to lead based on what God is leading us to do. But our perspective matters. So I want to read something to you and just read it with me, if you will. And then just follow me on the illustration and, and I'll show you how looking at things from a different perspective matters. Okay? So today was the absolute worst day ever. And don't try to convince me. Is it up there? It's not up there. All right. So uh, go to the app. If you don't have the app, too bad for you. Anyway, I'm joking. Uh, today was the absolute worst day ever. And don't try to convince me that there's something good in every day. Because when you take a closer look, this world is a pretty evil place. Even if some goodness does shine through once in a while, satisfaction and happiness don't last. And it's not true that the reality creates my attitude. It's all beyond my control. And you'll never in a million years, hear me say that today was a good day. Now that is a person with a horrible attitude. Come on, y'all. That's a person who's been hurt. That's a person who's offended. That's a person who's messed up. But you know what? If you just change your perspective on this a little bit, it'll turn everything around. Let's read it from the bottom up. Today was a good day. And you'll never in a million years hear me say that it's all beyond my control. My attitude creates the reality. And it's not true that satisfaction and happiness don't last. Some goodness does shine through once in a while. Even if the world is a pretty evil place. Because when you take a closer look, there is something good in every day. And don't try to convince me that today was the absolute worst day ever. Now, when I, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, when, when I read this, I thought, the person who wrote this is a, a genius. And I thought to myself, I wonder how long that took them to write that and to figure out how that would say exactly backwards what it needed to say. But the truth, it makes a solid point. And the point is this, the way we look at things, the way we approach things, the way we approach life, the way we approach learning, the way we approach the Bible, the way we approach the world, it all matters in terms of how we behave in it and how we respond to it and how we act and the responses that we get. It's important for us to understand that perspective does matter. Lens matters. Worldview matters. And what I'm trying to get us to do and I'm always trying to get us to do in terms of being disciples 
is have a worldview that is based on Christ, a Christocentric worldview that says, I see the world through the lens of Jesus. I see the world through the lens of the Bible. I'm not going to see the world through the philosophies of the world. I'm not going to see the world through popular opinion. I'm not going to see the world through hopelessness or fear. I'm not going to see the world through political things. I'm going to look at the world and all of those other things that are a part of the world through a filter, a lens that is the Word of God, that is my relationship with God, the will, the way, the words of God. And if I can do that, if I can begin to do that, and absolutely you and I both know that it's impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. It's impossible for us to just get information and just because we're better informed, now we're better people. It doesn't work that way. We need to know God, not just know about Him. And when we do know Him, then He takes His Word, He plants it in us, He changes our heart, and He changes the way we see things. This is the way we should look at the world. The sad part is that so much of the time we're finding ourselves shifting and looking at the world through the world's own lens. And we've got to be careful with that. You know, truth is absolute. And I know there's a lot of people that are trying to convince us that it's not. But I just want you to stop and take a minute and just think about it. It's laughable the things that are happening as a result of a cultural and moral relativism in our society. It's crazy to think that people think things that to uh, to a person who has a somewhat common sense filter to think that some of the literal, it's almost like insanity that's going on. Like people are believing things that really, if you take them to their logical conclusion, ultimately mean destruction. They ultimately mean lack. They all ultimately mean impoverishment. They ultimately mean perversion. And, And ultimately they mean a life outside of a relationship with God in eternity. So truth is absolutely absolute and it's found in the person of Jesus and we as believers need to function in the knowledge of that fact and understand his word and we need to understand his wisdom and he gives us his word and his wisdom so we can walk in his ways right so what is Jesus saying to us like really what is Jesus saying to us he's teaching us that we're blessed now, in this simple passage of Scripture, he's teaching, us, he's teaching us something that we don't necessarily want to hear. And that is that we're blessed when we're persecuted. We're blessed when things aren't going right. We're blessed when it's hard. We're blessed when it's difficult. We're blessed when everything's not going our way. Well, in our Western mind, that is the exact opposite of being blessed. How many are aware of that? Like, the moment something goes wrong in our life, we immediately think, oh, man, I got the worst luck. I'm a born loser. How many of you ever had one of those seasons? How many of you ever had one of those seasons where it wasn't just one thing that hit you? Like, the devil lined up. He lined up every imp he had in the neighborhood. He was like, hit him again, hit him again, hit him again. And you're like, I've, I've lost. And you know what Jesus says? You're blessed. Jesus, you and I need to sit down and talk about your definition. I don't feel blessed. But you know what Jesus is really saying to us? He's not saying that's a blessing, that that's happening. He's saying your opportunity to respond to that is a blessing. He's saying that 
what's going to happen to you as a result of you standing in the word of God is going to bless your life. What's going to happen to you as a result of not giving in to persecution, not giving in to fear, not giving in to hate, not giving in to bad times, and saying, I know my God is able, and standing in hope and faith and truth, what happens is when I decide, make that decision, what happens on the inside of me affects my life in the future. It affects my faith and my strength and my courage and my ability to whether or not I'm going to make it in the future, or whether or not I'm going to win the next battle, or whether or not I'm going to be powerful and strong enough spiritually to handle what the next thing is that come. I love Matthew chapter 5, verse 10 through 12 in the Amplified. It says, blessed, comforted by inner peace and God's love are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, both now and forever. Blessed, morally courageous, and spiritually alive with life, joy, and God's goodness are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of your association with me. Be glad and exceedingly joyful, for your reward in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible. For this same way they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Now listen, I don't know what's gotten into the church but there's this thing that's gotten even into the church. We've talked about it before, but I just want to reiterate it for a moment. And that is this, that somehow morality is some kind of bad thing. Now, I don't believe you can get into heaven by being moral, by behaving well. You can't get into heaven by behaving well because at your best, before you know Jesus, the truth is your best is worse. It's bad. Like, you, you, you could try to be as righteous as possible, and your heart is still going to be ugly. Right? You're, you are born in sin. You, you live in sin before you meet Jesus. And, and you could try to discipline yourself, and you could try to get over those things that you're doing externally. But still, in your heart, it's still not regenerated, and it's still not right. And outside the power of God causing you to be born again Nothing changes, not really, maybe outside, but not inside. And this is why you see a lot of people who try to change things on the outside end up going right back and defaulting into those things simply because nothing changed on the inside. <clears throat> so I'm not in any way, in any way, saying that we can be saved by being moral. But I am saying in every way, that when we get saved and we begin to disciple our, we begin to be discipled by the word of God and by other believers in our life, when that happens, there is a morality to that. God begins to change us. He begins, you know, the reason so many early Christians struggle and we have to say, it's going to be all right, it's going to be okay, just keep moving forward, is because all of a sudden they're born again and now they want to live right. They want to do what's right. They want to live righteously. They want to be holy, and they keep slipping up because they're still just like babies learning how to do it. And, and so we have to be encouraging to them. We have to be saying, hey, come on, you can do it. Because we know that we're all capable of sin. <clears throat> I know that I am capable of sin. Obviously, you think you're perfect. <laughs> Sitting there looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. I'm very holy. You're wholly full of something anyway, but we'll move on. You, the, the truth is, the truth is we all have the capability of sinning. But when we become born again and we start going down this track of discipleship, things should change. Yeah. 
doesn't mean you can't sin, but it also doesn't mean that you should live a lifestyle of sin. We have to stop making excuses for our inadequacies spiritually and start getting into the Word of God and become, become molded into the image of God in such a way that we are conformed into His image because that is what He said the purpose was to begin with. It was Romans chapter 8, verse 29. He said that the whole purpose that we were that God chose us and adopted us and predestined us was to be conformed into the image of Jesus. So the whole purpose is that I become like him. So there is a morality. And I know that some of us who want to live right and want to do right and want to follow the word of God and want to be informed about the word of God and want to grow in the things of God, a lot of us right now may feel a bit persecuted because if you say what you believe about what is right and what is moral, that there's a whole society ready to shoot you down and say you're the bad one for thinking that way. I just want to share with you that there are two worlds here. We don't belong to this one. There is a world... Listen, there is a world that exists, the earth, and all that is in it. And then there's a heavenly kingdom that is the kingdom of God. Now, we can sit in the kingdom of God and say things like, I'm glad, like the guy, you know, remember the Pharisee that was sitting and there was a, there was a man at the temple and he was bad and he was saying, I'm bad, I'm bad. And, and the Pharisee was saying, <clears throat> I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. We can take that position or we can say our job in the kingdom we're born of is to be ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, 18, 19 talks about the fact that when we're born again, we're made a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And then he goes on to say Jesus was given the ministry of reconciliation, which means his whole job when he came was to die for our sins and raise again from the dead for the sole purpose of bringing us back into relationship with the Father. That was the whole goal. And then he sends into the Father. He ascends up to the Father, and he says to us, go make disciples, with the whole goal of being that ambassador that represents the kingdom of God and reconciling others who don't know God into a relationship with God. So Jesus' ministry was... To reconcile men to God. And when he leaves, he gives us the ministry of reconciling men to God. That's the whole goal. Our goal isn't to say, I'm a part of this kingdom and not that kingdom. And that kingdom disgusts me. Our goal is to say, I'm a part of this kingdom. And it is disgusting what's going on in that world. But I'm going to reach into that darkness. And I'm going to bring some people into the light. But here's the problem. The problem is some of us cannot get ourselves to take a stand in one kingdom or the other. We want to think like this kingdom, but get that kingdom's results. We want to think like the kingdom of the world and get the kingdom of God type of results. And Jesus is saying, look, the whole thing that happens when you become saved and then you start this process of discipleship is that your mind is being renewed. He said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and we've talked about this so many times, but I must repeat it today. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, he said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he goes on in verse 2 and he says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be the proof of what is good and acceptable and perfect in the will of God. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, don't be like the world, be like God. Don't be like the world, be like Jesus. Don't think like the world, think like God. And in the word of God and the learning of the word of God and the developing of a relationship with God, you are renewed. Or the word is, it's, it's a contrast between the word conform and the word transform. And the word conform means to be made like. The word transform means to be completely changed. And it's where we get the word metamorphosis. It's a Greek word, metamorpho. And it's that idea of the caterpillar becoming the butterfly, the tadpole becoming the frog. It's this process of pressure and information and change that happens when we give our life to Jesus and we get into his word and we start seeking his face. Something changes on the inside of us. And then when we're faced with the world that says no, and right now our world, and, and it has been prophesied, I don't know why we don't get it as a church and why we freak out about it as believers in this time, but Isaiah said there is coming a time where people are going to call good evil and evil good. That is, should not be a surprise to any of us that this is going on. And right now, our entire culture is being gaslit, saying that morality is immoral and immorality is moral. And what we have to do is get in that fight by being who God called us to be, not hating those who are blinded by that, but by helping those who are blinded by that? I'm, is this getting anywhere close to where we need to be this morning? So, I want to talk to you first about five principles or perspective. Perspectives that are impacted by a biblical worldview. Number one, you can write this down morality matters. It says, God gives comfort and peace to those who are mistreated for doing what is morally right. When you're called names, when you're ridiculed, when you're lambasted, when you're treated in a certain way uh, because you believe in right or truth based on the word of God, then the Bible says that God will comfort you with peace. So don't get in a fight. Just receive the peace of God. Don't get angry. And here's what, here's what I want to tell you. Everybody look at me real quick. Here's what's happening when we get mad at this. Okay, What we're doing is we're standing in the place of relationship with God in his kingdom. We're trying to live our life with Jesus. We're trying to do what God's called us to do. And then someone attacks us or someone calls us out or someone says something to us because we believe a certain thing. And we accidentally, without knowing it, slip into this kingdom over here. Our carnal nature gets the best of us because we're still flesh. Oh, Lord, Jesus, please get me to transfiguration. I need rid of this stuff. You know what? I mean, I need rid of it. I want it to go. I, I don't, I'm, I'm tired of the battle. How many feel like that sometimes? Because sometimes you'll do something and you'll think, mm, man, I thought I had changed. Y'all, just me, just, just me. Uh, 
And so we fire back because now we're not thinking like a kingdom of God person. We're thinking like a citizen of the United States. Oh, I knew it was going to get saucy in here. This is what we're doing. Instead of thinking, what would what, God's given me peace for this right now? I can love this person. I can take a stand in the truth that God has for me, but I can love them. I can have compassion for them. But instead, we slip over into, well, this is a country that's founded on the word of God and by God and hell, holy God and hell, how are you doing and blah, blah, blah. Come on. And Jesus is like, what, what are you talking about? Is all that true? Yes. But is that the position from which we see the world? Or do we see the world from the position of Jesus said love those who hate you? Jesus said do good for those who despitefully use This is not easy. Come on, everybody. Look at me. This is not easy. This is hard. But I want to stand for truth. Then get on the standing. How do I stand for truth? By declaring the word of God and being the word of God yourself. But the moment you say you're declaring the truth of the word of God and then you step over into your carnality and start defending the word of God based on the hate you have for someone else, you just got out of the kingdom. You just decided to be on that side of things. Now... Those people who are so angry with you, you're on their side and you don't even realize it. Is this, does this make sense to you? I'm not trying to confuse anybody today. I'm just trying to get us to understand how are we thinking. Is it, it, do we want to have a Christian nation? Yes. Do we want people to follow Jesus? Yes. But getting them to follow Jesus is not going to happen if we lose our credibility because we say one thing and then we act another. Okay, let's move on. God gives comfort and peace to those who are mistreated for doing what is morally right. And how does this apply today? And again, I want to reiterate what I said last week. Being mistreated or persecuted is not because you were being a jerk and someone was a jerk back to you. That's not being mistreated for being morally right. Right? Yeah. So just don't walk around like a victim. Don't walk around like you. You're being hurt or hindered because, oh, my goodness, somebody hated you on Facebook. I remember sitting at a table at a leadership conference one time, and uh, there was a pastor there who had literally had this happen. The pastor before him was dismissed, and this is a major mega church, and the pastor before him was dismissed for massive, ongoing, long-term sexual scandal. And so he had to come in, and pastor the church after that. So if you're just a pastor, you just know that's a hard deal. And so then he's, then while he's there in his first two years, his church gets shot up. A couple of people get killed. Several people get wounded. A gunman came in and shot his church up. And then he was sitting at a table with us telling us this story. And he said, and then I went to a conference not long after that. And he said, I was really about to lose my mind. I was like, did I, 
did I do the wrong thing here? What, what, what was I thinking coming here? I don't know what's going on, what's happening here. And, and he said, I sit down at this table with this young man. And he said, man, he, I mean, he said he was tore up. He was tore up because somebody that had gone to his church went on Facebook and said they didn't like him. And he was sitting here just bemoaning and bemoaning the fact that he's not liked. And he said, I wanted to punch him in his face. You know that old story, let's all go to a stadium and trade problems. And everybody, once they got to the stadium and there's thousands of people in there and you start getting your problems out in here, you take mine, I'll take yours. Everybody just goes, I'll keep mine. Right? We all face difficulties, but we all respond or should respond the way the kingdom wants us to respond. And we need to be aware and understand that we're not victims here. Even if we're disliked, they didn't like Jesus. I don't know why everybody acts like they love Jesus. Because our culture has taught us that. Jesus was a good teacher. He was a good man. He was a great man. Everybody, just, he was just full of love. and he always, People hated. Do y'all remember he crucified? He was crucified. He was crucified because they hated him. They hated what he was teaching. <laughs> okay. So the, the important thing is, is that we don't just live moral or try to live moral or act moral, but that we truly are moral because of the thing that has happened in our life. And that is the second thing, knowing Jesus matters. Everybody say it with me, knowing Jesus matters. God empowers us with courage and joy when, uh, when the world or the religious insult us or belittle us for associating with him. And we get this from both sides because there is a religious kingdom that's not the kingdom of God. And even some of those people in that religious kingdom that are not a part of the kingdom of God, aren't, they call themselves Christians. But if you get a little bit too connected to the kingdom, They'll give you problems. You get a bit, little bit too. You giving all the time. You going to church all the time. You're serving the church all the time. You're witnessing to people all the time. In your, why don't your religion needs to be a little bit more personal? I mean, a little bit more private. Well, the problem with that is, is I don't have a religion. I have a relationship with Jesus. I have met the most remarkable person that has ever walked the face of this planet. And I'm not keeping that to myself. We know him. We don't just know about him. Number three, our response matters. We respond, we don't react. We respond, we don't react. Everybody say this word with me, responsibility. Now we look at the word responsibility and say that's when you take ownership of something and you don't push things away, you own them, you don't blame shift, you don't put them on somebody else, you take ownership. But I want to take that word a little bit farther, and here's what I want you to hear. When we talk about responsibility, what we're saying is we have the ability to respond, not react. God gives us, through his word, the ability to stop for a minute. Between every time there's a stimulus of some kind, there's a moment where we get to decide, am I going to react to this, or am I going to respond to this? A good example was Peter in the sword and Jesus healing the ear. Peter reacted, Jesus responded. 
We have, as, as Christians, as we get into the Word and we develop a worldview that sees the world through the Word of God, the will of God, and the ways of God, instead of reacting to the world, we respond to the world. And we respond to the world in the way that Jesus responds to the world. Now, I'm up here talking about this like this is all just easy and, and everybody should be able to do this. You're a Christian. You should be able to do this. Well, uh, okay, there's this one big problem. We're human. <laughs> Turn your neighbor and say, you're, you're a little more human than me, but I am human. Yeah. So I'm not trying to pretend to you that this is easy. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is why we need the Word of God in our lives. Uh, so here's how we respond instead of reacting. We prepare in advance to respond. We stay in the Word. We meditate. We love God. We commune with Him. And when we do that on a daily basis, then when life happens to us, we are prepared to respond, not react. We recognize we're from another kingdom. We recognize we are not liked or necessarily understood here in some cases. We appreciate that some will see our good works and glorify the Father and come to know Him, while others will hate us and attack us for our very existence and identity. We love in spite of their hate. We rejoice because of their attacks, because it means we're carrying the gospel. However, listen, we do not change, we do not compromise, we do not negotiate our faith. We stand on the Word of God. And standing on the Word of God means doing what the Word of God says. So the fourth thing is maturing matters. I know you all love your children. How many love your children? In most days. Well, we have one honest person in the, in the room. But how many would not love it if your children were normal, healthy kids, and they just decided they weren't going to grow up? If you're dealing with this, come see me after service. We'll talk about it. But they just decided, you know, I'm not going to walk. Right now, that's where, that's where Millie's at. Millie's crawling up a storm, my little granddaughter. She's crawling everywhere. But if you set her on her feet, she starts bawling immediately. It's like as if to say, I'm not walking. And you're trying to make me walk and I'm not going to do it. And somehow, some way in our Christian walk, we have come to this place where for some reason we feel like we don't have to mature. That I can forevermore be a baby Christian. Right? And that is not the case. That maturing matters. When we face persecution or attacks because we love Jesus and his word, if we count it all joy, you know what happens? We mature. Listen, we're, we're aware that it helps us grow. We understand that it purifies our soul. We realize that it gives us patience and perseverance and makes us steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. It makes us strong. So when hurtful and harmful things happen to us in life, if we take the perspective that I'm going to see this as from the, my worldview about this is going to be seen through the truth of the word of God, then I'm going to see that God says, count it all joy when trials and tribulations come because what's going to happen is you're going to mature. It may not feel good and you may not like it and it may be horrible, but Peter talks about it this way. He said, you're like gold that's being tried in the fire. And when you put gold and you want it to be pure and get all the dross off of it, you put it in a hot fire till all that dross goes away and that at one point, that, that thing becomes so pure, it's clear. 
And, and, it's, and it's so interesting that that's what's happening to us when we go through difficult things. We're not reacting. We're not responding. When people come at us, we're re-loving them. We're caring for them. When situations and circumstances happen, we're patient and we're kind. We're loving and doing what the fruit of the Spirit would have us to do. And what happens is it matures us and it prospers us. And the last thing is that I'm going to say today, I've got a lot more on the notes. You'll see, he didn't do all the points. Just get over it. It'll be all right. We'll talk about it next week. So number five, development matters. When we face these trials and we keep moving forward, it makes us complete. It changes us into better disciples. It gives us strength and experience to be able to lead positive change in the lives of of others. In other words, when we truly know what kingdom we're a part of and we grow and we develop and we mature and we respond and we change, then what happens is others can see that and all that I've gone through can be used to bring those who are lost in the darkness of sin, who are lost in the darkness of persecution or I mean uh, problems and tribulation, who are lost in the darkness darkness of abuse and of and, and, of, and of problems who are lost in the darkness of personal perversion and issues that some of us couldn't even understand. They're so complicated. And we can reach into their life because of the maturity that's happened in us. And instead of reacting, instead of judging, instead of being hateful or instead of being offended, we just reach in with the heart of God. And we say, even though you don't receive me or if you do, I'm here and I love you. I mean, take the picture of Jesus being taken from the garden. And he showed in his very voice that he had the power to not go if he didn't want to. He said, he said who, who do you seek? And they said, we seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. And if you read in the Gospel of John, it says, in that moment when Jesus said, I am he, he was, he was referencing the I am statement of God, El, Elyon, El Yahweh. I am the self-sufficient, self-existing God. He was claiming his deity. And when he said it, everyone there fell backwards onto the ground. All he had to do was say it. And then they all got back up. And I don't know what possessed them to keep coming after him. Obviously the devil. But they got back up and they came to arrest him. And Peter, out of his reactionary self, because that's who he was, he grabs a sword and he cuts the ear now I want you to think of the responsiveness of this. Jesus in this moment where he's being arrested to be taken to Pilate, to be taken to the cross, he stops and teaches us all a lesson. He reaches down and picks up the ear. Can you imagine? I mean, let's not look at it from the, 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 like the way we read the Bible like it's a fairy tale. Let's look at it like a real... Can you imagine all of a sudden Peter grabs a sword and he tries to hit this cut this guy's head off and he's a fisherman and not a swordsman so he cuts his ear off instead and I'm sure the guy just grabs his ear and ah, screams and yells because his ear has been torn from his head and then Jesus turns to Peter and says hey you, you live by the sword you die by the sword <laughs> okay hold on Jesus pauses everything to teach Peter a lesson and then he picks up the ear he could have just moved on. Come on, let's be honest. With everything facing him, he could have just moved on. 
just walked out and let the man stand in there in pain. But instead, he reached down and he picked up the ear. And he put it back on the man's head. I mean, this ain't no Mr. Potato Head. This, this was a real ear and a real guy. Can you imagine in that moment? I wonder. I wonder if that was the centurion that was kneeling at the foot of the cross that looked up and said, truly, this man is the Son of God. You see, I'm just not going to do it. I feel the pressure to think like the world. I feel the pressure to get into fear. I feel the pressure to give in to immorality and deceit. I feel the pressure all around me all the time. But I've just decided I'm not going to do it. Because I know the man. I don't know about him. I don't know his story. I know him. And when, when I've been at my highest, he's been there. When I've been at my lowest, like low, low, want to quit low, want to run low, want to be afraid low, he's been there. And when I was confused and messed up and struggling, he showed up for me and saved me. When I couldn't live the way he wanted, I cried out to him and he filled me with his Holy Spirit and empowered me to do it. And when I couldn't understand his word, I just said, God, show me what your word says and he would reveal it to me. And when I was disappointed in myself for falling or failing, he would just pick me back up and say, come on, son, it's okay. I'm sorry. I know him. You can't convince me of your philosophic ideas. You can't try to fill my head with things that aren't true. You can't try to get me to believe that this is not real. You find me another work that even gets close to meeting the standard of this work. Over the years that it's been here for us and given to us. And I'm just saying to you, stop agreeing with lies. Stop believing them, stop entertaining them, and listen to the voice of God and see the world through a God perspective, through a biblical perspective, and do what He says. Because I'm going to tell you, the Bible says, if you love me, if you want to be a true disciple, you'll follow my teachings. Well, listen, you might be going through something hard today. You probably are. A lot of people are right now. I just want you to know, don't give up and don't give in. Trust God. Trust God. Trust Him. And then when you trust Him and put your faith in Him, He's going to build in you strength and patience and perseverance. And you're like that gold and it may be hot in the fire right now. I'm just telling you, when it's over, you're going to be so much better. It's not about what the world calls success. It's not about what the world says is good, not good. It's about what he says.
And let's just not forget, the Bible is very clear that God created everything that exists. He is not affected by it. He stands outside of it. He stands outside of time. He stands outside of creation. But the Bible also says in Colossians that in him all things consist. So he not only created it, but he's holding it together. And I tell you that today, not to have some theological flourish, but to just say, we need to remember who he is. And we need to remember who we are. And we need to line up with what he wants. Not because he's making us, because he could make us. Because he wants us and he loves us. Amen. Stand with me. Father, we are thankful for your word today. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.